Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. How are we doing this morning? Doing good? You ready for the word? That's awesome. We are, I'm enjoying this series in Revelation. And I just want to say thank you for those that continually give uh, in our, our weekly offerings, though you're faithful in your tithing. Without your crazy generosity, we wouldn't be able to do what we do and uh, be able to bless those that, uh, that are come across that are on our heart, like this orphanage in India. And uh, I'm praying about uh, one of the weeks coming up here, maybe next week. I'm actually taking a service to kind of talk about, you know, some of the things that we're doing to see, just so you can kind of see in VisionCast what you're giving, what your generosity does to bless other people. And I think it's important that we remember that, that Jesus didn't just say to pray for those that are in need. He also said, be good to all those who are in need. And so part of how we live out our Christian life is actually tangible demonstrations of God's love. And so I think it's awesome the things that we do remind us to do every year and that we can implement that to live out in our everyday lives. Amen? Amen. So for those of you that are new, I'm Pastor Joey. We, again, say welcome, and we challenge every new person who comes, every guest in the house, to come three weeks in a row because we know how difficult it is for you to find a home church or feel at home in a place in just one week. And so we encourage you to, to just make that commitment uh, those three weeks in a row. And then after that three weeks, if you feel like God is leading you to become part of Vertical Life Church, we'll say in advance, welcome home. You know, welcome to the family. This is an awesome family to be a part of, uh, such a loving and caring group of people. And I'm so, I just was thinking about this this morning. I can't believe I get to be part of Vertical Life Church. All right, this is just an awesome group of people, and, uh, and God is doing some really cool things here. So we're in Revelation chapter 3. It's only been 13 weeks, and uh, now we're in the end of the third chapter. We're rounding off the letters to the seven churches of the book of Revelation, and it's good that we spend time digging into God's word, uh, but also Jesus' word to the church, right? If Christ is the head of the church, like he's in charge of it. It's important that we listen and understand maybe some things that he is saying or what's on his heart because it's probably pretty important. Like the last words Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven to his disciples, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and be sure of this, I am with you even to the end of the age. And here the book of Revelation is like this snapshot about the end of the age. And here Jesus is giving these letters to these churches that were in existence at the time, 2,000 years ago. But it also is a letter that stands the test of time that can even resonate with the church at the end of the age. So it's kind of like a prophetic revelation of our grade report at the end of time. Now, when we're in school... The one thing you never looked forward to, unless you were just an awesome student, is your grades being sent home to your parents. I, I don't know how many times I tried to pull the whole, it got lost in the mail bit, you know, but uh, it didn't always work. They always found out somehow, you, you know, and uh, I, I really think it's pretty awesome. Now, uh, Tony, as she's been working at the Frankenmuth Schools, they do all their stuff online, so we see their grades in real time. Like, I find out you bombed a test because I saw your grade today, Right. So, like, there's no getting lost in the mail now. It's like data instantaneously. 
But, but this is kind of like Jesus' snapshot. He's like, here's the things you're doing good, and here's the stuff that you're not doing so good. Here's the stuff that needs to change, or you're going to miss out on some blessing. And so we're here in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, beginning in the verse 14, this last letter to the church. And here's what Jesus says through the apostle John. He says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the amen. How many of you know all of God's promises are yes and amen through Christ Jesus? That's a truth we need to hold near and dear. Paul tells us that all of God's promises from the dawn of time to the end of time are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ, that means they will be fulfilled for and in you. Thank God. So the words of the amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the faithful and true witness. And you'll see how that... That title is more important in the next couple of chapters. We're not going to get into it today, but you'll see how that, that statement, the true witness, applies and the importance of that in the coming weeks. But here he refers to himself as the beginning of God's creation. And if you continue to read, in likewise fashion, as he did with the other churches, he talked about, he talks about their works. I know your works. I know what you've been up to. I see your heart. But he witnesses against the rebellious nature of each church, calling them to repentance. And in the introduction is usually an indicator of the, the, the way he's going to approach this church. And here he says he's the beginning of God's creation. Now, we have to note right here that if we don't understand what that means, that can introduce one of the historical heresies of the Christian church. There's a heresy that, that's been around for, for years and years and years called Arianism that believes Jesus Christ was a created being, not the creator of all beings. So this word beginning doesn't mean he was the first that God created. The word beginning denotes position. So it is, he is the first or the head of God's creation. And we see this in the New Testament. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word, what? Was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and He took on flesh, and He became one of us, and He dwelt among men. In Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus did not think it was robbery to be equal with God, but He submitted Himself to the form of a servant. He gave up His divine privileges so that He could submit to God even to the death of the cross. So Jesus isn't one of God's created beings. He is God. He's God in flesh. And so he's not a created being as one of us. He is the creator of all beings. He's the eternal God. He was the, the initiator of all creation. The Bible says that nothing that God made was made except through him. So he's the author of creation. He is the architect of creation, doing it through the agency of the power of the Holy Spirit. The Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all together, three in one, who brings all things into existence. There is nothing without Jesus Christ. So again, the word beginning carries the connotation not of time, but stature, as in rule or rulers or magistrates. He's the first of importance, the supreme authority. 
And this is important for what Jesus is about to say to the church at Laodicea. And again, he says something very direct to this church. He says in verse 15, he says, I know your works, and you are neither hot nor cold, but rather, I'd want you to be one or the other. And with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence today. I thank you for the sweet spirit. I thank you that your, your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. I thank you that it's just as true today as it was when it was written thousands of years ago. I thank you, God, that what distinguishes you among all the other gods of the world as you declare the end from the beginning, that you are faithful and true. You never lie. You never make a mistake. You never hold back on a promise, and you always come through at the appointed time. I thank you, God, that you are the head of all creation. You are Lord of heaven and earth. And I thank you, Lord, that your word for us, and even in a rebuke, it's for our good and not disaster, to give us a future and a hope. And so, God, I pray today that our hearts would be open, that you'd give us eyes to see, ears to hear, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything that you have for us. If you agree, all God's people said, amen. So here in Revelation 3.15, he, he's addressing them, as he has done before, many other churches, he started with the same language, I know your works. Like, I, I've seen what you've been up to, I've seen what you've been doing, but you're neither hot or cold, and I'd rather you'd be one or the other, but you're not, you're lukewarm. Somebody say lukewarm. Lukewarm. And then he goes to say, later in, in this passage, he refers to something that, that would describe, like, Jesus tasting the works of the people and, and how that impacts him. And, and so to kind of describe what, what he's talking about, I've got three cups up here, three containers of liquid. And, and so we want to look at, really kind of nail this down, what he's getting at when he says you're neither hot nor cold, because we can misunderstand that by interpreting it through our own lens. And so when we think about being cold, when you are outside and it's a hot, scorching day, it's like 90 to 100 degrees and you're, you're out working in your yard, you know, it's a Saturday afternoon because you can't get anything done the rest of the week, right? So you leave all your yard work and all your stuff for Saturday. It's, it's blazing hot. You're out there. You're pulling weeds. You're mowing grass. You're, you're doing whatever needs to be done. When you get exhausted, when you get parched, what do you want? You want a cold drink, right? And I don't know what your favorite drink is. Maybe it's a, a cup of ice-cold water. I've got ice-cold water here. You know, this is, this is my uh, water bottle I take to the gym. I get, hmm, so good. So good. Ice cold water, right? You know, your favorite drink might be uh, like sun tea. You, you make it outside. It's organic. It's natural. You put some ice in there, a, a little bit of lemon, a little bit of honey, and man, woo, you got some sun tea. Maybe you go to the fridge and get a nice cold soda, and, uh, and, and, and you're real spiritual with what you like to drink. You, you know, whatever it is. But, but what does it do? When you take that drink, it refreshes you. It's a refresher. It's like all that hard work in a minute just begins to fade away, all that wear and tear. The person who is like the cold is what we would call the refresher, a spiritual refresher. And what is a spiritual refresher? They are all about encouragement and renewal. You know, you, you might be, uh, if you're 
one of the coldies that, that he's talking about. You're, you're, the, you're the cold spiritual person. You're the refresher. You might be in the background. No one may ever really see you. You might operate from the background, but you are constantly encouraging those who are exhausted from hard labor. You're aware of the things they struggle with, and you've got the right word at the right time. So in the moment of their greatest weakness, you can refresh them. You help restore people to get back to work. You restore their purpose and their identity in Christ. How many of you know when you're weary and you're tired, often you forget who you are? And you often forget the purpose in what you're doing and why you're here and why Jesus just hasn't called you home. So they help people rediscover the value in the work, right? When, when you're slaving all day in the hot weather and you're just tired and you're parched, sometimes you can just be like, okay, I'm done. Like, I don't even know why I did this today. Like, I'm just like, I'm never doing that again, right? But why did you do it? Because things were a mess and you're working to clean it up so that it looks nice, it's pleasant, it, it's presentable. You got that curb appeal if you're trying to sell your house, you know? You know, there, there are things you do to, to make things well. Well, the same thing in, in the Christian life is that you kill yourself every day trying to honor God, trying to do what God's asked you to do. And sometimes you get tired and weary and you forget. You forget why you wake up an hour early before work, before getting ready to spend time with God. You forget why Sundays matter and the gathering of the church matters. Because you're tired and weary. And so it takes that refresher, it takes that spiritual refresher to come in and speak a better word, to call you into who you are, to help you remember why what you do matters. They act like a second wind. Their faith is an incredible example to those around them because they're always positive and moving forward in a positive way. If we could give the refresher a motto, their motto would be, you have more in you than you feel. They see more in you than you maybe even feel and see in yourself. And so when Jesus is saying you're not cold, he's not saying you're not hard-hearted. He's saying you're not refreshing. You're not livening things up. You're not encouraging people. And then he talks about being hot. Here I have my favorite coffee cup. I praise God for our cafe team. Can we give our cafe team a shout? Right? They always have the hot coffee. You know, and they always have, they do an awesome job. What I love about this is a Contigo cup. If you're a hot liquids drinker, maybe you're a tea drinker or a coffee drinker or whatever you, you drink that's hot, if you don't have a Contigo cup, you're missing out. Like, like this will, not only it's spill proof, you know, how many of you have had to rush home and get a change of clothes because you dumped your coffee on you on your way to work, right? It's spill proof, but also it's like vacuum sealed. And so this thing will stay hot all day long. And if I did this right, when I open this, you're going to hear that seal pop. Listen. That's the sound. That's how you know what you're about to taste. Mmm. Mmm. So good. It's so good. You know when you're cold, you've been outside in the snow all day, shoveling, you know, and, and you're freezing cold at home? What does that do to you? It shuts you down. Like, when you get that chill in your back, you know what I mean? You get that chill in your back? I don't know. I, ever since I've been on, like, a health journey and I've, I've, I've lost a bunch of weight, I'm cold now more than I am hot. I, I, my mom used to refer to me when I was young as a hot box, and, and I would sweat all the time. I would sweat just breathing, you know, just all the time I was sweating. 
but now I'm cold all the time. When I get that shiver down my, my back, man, it ruins my day, like, until I fix it. And so I'll, like, I'll, if you have a hot tub, you can go dip in the hot tub, right? You can soak in there, or you can draw yourself a warm bath, and you can, you know, lay in the bath. It warms you up. You get, if your hands are freezing cold, you run them under hot water. For me, at night, I put on every pair of pajamas I have, turn my electric bed on at full blast, and put my hood up, and I'm good to go, right? It, so what, what does hot do? Well, it comforts, and it helps get rid of that chill, the thing that's slowing you down, the thing that, that's in your way, and it activates you. It re-energizes you. If you think of someone who is on fire for the Lord... That, that, that often can be the spark that gets you back into gear when you've been away from God for a long time. You know, a person who's on fire, they're seeking to alleviate burdens through thoughtful acts and service. They intercede in prayer. They're out evangelizing because they know the most important thing in their life is telling people about Jesus Christ. You have people who are hot. They want to help people find hope in Christ and strength in Christ. They help people find and pursue their divine purpose. How many of you know in Ephesians 2.10, it says, We were created anew in Christ Jesus to do things he planned for us long before he created the foundation of the world. And, and many people have not even awoken to their purpose. And what a person on fire does is they're going after it. And they're trying to bring as many people with them as they can. So they're so on fire for Jesus, the anointing on their life is contagious like wildfire. They're the people you see, be like, man, they, they are so full of the Spirit. They are so full of life. They're out there doing it. I want to be just like them. Some of you know some people that are on fire in your life. And you look at their life and be like, man, I wish my faith was like theirs. They're an activator. They come alongside and help heat you up, get you involved. If the person on fire had a, an activator had a motto, their motto would be, I can't get enough of God, and I'm not content until you experience what I'm experiencing. The person on fire says, I can't get enough, and I'm not content until everyone around me experiences what I'm experiencing. And then the third cup, that's lukewarm. The lukewarm are the spiritually disinterested. Jesus said this to an entire church. I wish you were hot or cold, but you're not. You're spiritually disinterested. Lukewarm means you've been sitting out a while. You're stale. You're stagnant. Apathetic. You're indifferent to the things of God. You're just going through the motions. You're a religiously-minded Christian. You know, you might be physically present if you're with the lukewarm. You might be here today, and you might be physically present, but you're spiritually and mentally absent. You're not dialed in. You've been thinking up until this point, now that I got your attention, you've been thinking about everything else you want to do today. Oh, yeah. You're in here. He hasn't shown me who you are, but in a minute, we'll start pointing you out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but you're in here. You're looking at your phone, and it's not the Bible app that's open. You have that secret headphone piece in your ear, and you're listening to music you should have never listened to in the first place. Why well, you should be listening to God. You're thinking thoughts, and you're dreaming things. 
You're here, but you're not here. All you're interested in, spiritually, are what you're required to do to keep the status quo. To do enough to be included in the group, but not enough to inconvenience your life. The lukewarm wants to do just enough to be included, but not enough to be inconvenienced. The motto of the lukewarm Christian is this, I want Jesus to come back, just not right now. Because I'm too busy living my life and I have more I want to experience. I like the idea of Jesus. I'm just not in love with him. Can we camp there? What do you do for people you're in love with? Many of us wouldn't know because we've never been in love. We divorced Jesus before we had a chance to date him. They're in the world, but we're called to be as believers in the world, but not of the world. But the lukewarm, they're not only in the world, they're loving it. Because heaven's not their home. The world is. And the question is, is how did this church, this church of Laodicea, how did they get that way? Well, he tells us in Revelation 3.17, he says, For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. Remember Jesus saying it's harder for a rich person to fit through the eye or to get into heaven as it is a camel to go through the eye of a needle? It's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. They were blessed beyond their physical need. They were financially secure, and that gave them the illusion of righteousness. Man, I've got it so good, God must love me. I must be all good. I have not a care in the world. I don't have to worry about my bills. I don't have any health problems. I don't have any issues to, to speak of. God must love me so much to give me all this stuff. And they weren't living for the kingdom. They were living for their bank account. And they had accumulated so much wealth that they didn't feel like they needed anything in life, including God. I just don't need it. I've got it so good. What do I need to pray for? What do I need to pursue God for? What do I need to do, you know, for God? And what most people don't realize is that the gospel of Christ, it actually thrives greater and better in places under severe depression, persecution, and suffering. The fastest growing churches in the world are in China, Iran, Pakistan. You realize that in Iran, they're having these protests right now because this young lady was killed because she wasn't properly wearing the Muslim dress. You realize that happens to Christians every day in Muslim countries? She was actually trying to somewhat follow the code. But Christians that don't wear that kind of stuff, they're killed every day. And the gospel's thriving. Why? Because they realize there's something to live for. And they realize that in their place, the only hope they have is Christ. These believers were so comfortable in their life, 
and also in their religious participation. They weren't desperate for the presence of God. It, it wasn't something that drove them. They weren't hungry for the things of God. They weren't active in ministering to other people in the ministry of the kingdom. It was just a country club of community members that did some good things every once in a while. That's what they'd become. And many believers fit in this category. How many of you know that the minute you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were called into ministry? You were called. It's not just the pastor that's called or the worship team that's called. It's every believer. We all have a job. We all have a gift. We all have a role. We all have a purpose. Everyone who trusts in Christ is called as a minister of the gospel. And I believe in our nation specifically, we've done a disservice in this nation to the kingdom of God by gearing our churches towards seeker-sensitive type attitudes. There, there's been this, for the last you know, few decades, this move away from traditional church to contemporary church. And the idea is, if we just make the church as worldly, entertaining, and as exciting and appealing as we can, then maybe they'll want to come and become part of the church. The problem with that is Jesus didn't say, draw them in. He said, go out and get them. Like, I'm all about guitars and lights and cool stuff. I enjoy it. But that's not the mission of the church. And in our nation specifically, you realize that, that when people come, and I have conversations with them, and I'll ask them, you know, what, you know, why are you here? What are you looking for? Hardly ever when someone tells me what they're looking for in a church does it revolve around deep spiritual things. We have this mentality in our nation that we market churches like we market McDonald's. Who's got the best deal? We look for churches like we shop hotels on vacation. Who has the best amenities? And free breakfast is a bonus. Thank God for Timmy. She provides free breakfast. But that's what we do. We're searching for finite things in a ministry that is going to go beyond infinity in what we do for Christ. We've lost our purpose as believers in America. And I say America because I'm having conversations with people in India, people in Africa, who are doing it. They have nothing, but they're going village to village on foot, town to town, preaching under trees, leading people to Christ, baptizing them in the river or whatever water source they have, and starting churches. I know a guy right now who is an apostle at 20-some years of age over about 20 to 30 other pastors, and he doesn't even know it. He's leading hundreds of churches, probably, in the villages around. And he doesn't even realize it. And when he talks to me, he acts like, I know what I'm doing. I'm like, I've got one. You've got like 50. They're doing it. And they're not worried about guitars and lights and buildings. You know, I've had people leave our church because our church doesn't feel like a church because we don't have our own building and a center aisle where they can get married or a place where they can have a funeral. This is real stuff. And it's the state of our culture and the mentality of where we are in this day and age. This comfort zone Christianity is killing the momentum of the mission of Jesus Christ. It's killing it. We want to know why our nation looks like it does. We surrendered. 
He's not talking to a dead church 2,000 years ago. He's talking to us. This comfort zone Christianity is killing the momentum. Why? Because it's convincing people they belong to the Lord. But since Jesus really isn't Lord, their comfort is, they don't really have what they think they have. And how do we know that this church wasn't a group of believers that just kind of lost their way and how they actually weren't actual genuine Christians? Well, look at what he says in the next verse. The rest of it, he says, For you say I'm rich, and I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, you think you have it all together, but it's actually the opposite. You're as far away as possible from having it all together. They were completely fooled about their spiritual condition and their connection to Christ. They may have come to church. They may have sang the songs. They may have tipped in the plate. They may have uh, served in a, in a ministry. But they didn't see themselves for who they really are. They didn't see the depth of their true need. No matter how many messages they heard, no matter how many services they attended, they remained unchanged because they were spiritually numb. And that numbness was a sign of their deepest need. In an illustration, Jesus uses a, 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 an encounter between an immoral woman and a religious leader when he goes to the, the man's house for dinner. And he uses this as an example of how she was responding versus how he was responding and comparing who really is redeemed and who just wants to play redeemed. In Luke chapter 7, verses 44 through 47, again, we've, we've heard this story many times. It says, then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, this was the man's house who he lived in. He says, do you see this woman? He says, I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. But she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she's loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. What's he saying? He's saying her response to me, the love that she's pouring out on me, the way she's ministering to me and serving me is a revelation of what's happened in her life, what's happened in her heart, and you look nothing like that. You've done nothing. You didn't even help me wipe off my feet. You didn't give me a kiss of a greeting. You didn't, you didn't anoint me. This religious guy was full of self-righteousness, but he was spiritually blind. He wanted to be acquainted and associated with Jesus. Maybe because he knew about his miracle power and he wanted to see something cool. Or he knew that he was growing in popularity and if I'm around Jesus, then I'll get to be in the group. I'll be associated. But it really wasn't about Jesus. It was about him. She emptied an expensive jar of perfume on Jesus because she knew that knowing and being known by Jesus was a greater reward and a greater pursuit than any other worldly treasure. Any other divine or worldly aim. And she was overwhelmed in the gratitude and love she had for him because of what he'd done. And I think Jesus makes a big deal out of this story to show us the difference. Someone who is hot or cold versus someone who is lukewarm. Someone who's connected. Someone who's growing. Someone who is in a relationship with the Lord. Versus someone who just 
knows who he is. The indifferent. The indifferent who haven't really encountered the power and love of Christ. And the reality of being forgiven and transformed into a new creation through the gospel. So the Laodicean believers, they were lukewarm. They were indifferent because they really weren't children of God. They were just religious. And they were dead in their sins. Look what he says in verse 18 in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. There's three things that he says. It, like, you got all your wealth? You got all the stuff? Well, here's some things you need to buy. Here, here's really what you need to buy. He says, you need to buy from me gold. Gold refined by fire represents righteous deeds of the saints and their eternal reward in heaven. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves a treasure in heaven where moth, dust, and thieves can't corrupt or steal it. Right? This is true righteousness, true deeds, true reward in heaven. The white garments represent people who are born again with their blood-bought believers who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and their sins have been cleansed and made white as snow. That now the righteousness of God now clothes them and has covered their shame and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And lastly, the salve to anoint the eyes, it comes from the Holy Spirit who opens the blind eyes of those who don't believe and awakens them to the reality of life in Christ, illuminates them to understand and discern truth. It gives them spiritual eyes to see, to discern spiritual things. So these followers of Christ weren't really followers at all. They weren't followers, they were fans. We're in the depth of football season. And this is the second year being involved in a fantasy football league. And to be honest, I'm not doing so well. I blame my manager. Now I pay for it, Reese runs it. That's how it, that's how it works. But what's the difference between a player and a fan? Because they both wear the colors. Fans sit in the stands. but they are not on the field. Fans might be wearing the colors, but they're not wearing the jersey. And the thing about fans is that they're first to celebrate when you do something good. They're also the first to criticize you when you do something bad. You know how many professional NFL coaches are sitting on the couch in front of the television? More than are actually hired in the sport. Everyone thinks they know what should have been done, what should have happened better, the way someone should have, you know, done it. Oh, man, that, that coach, he doesn't know what he's doing. Why did he call that play? But I guarantee you, if you would exchange positions with him, you would do far worse. Far worse. So Jesus doesn't want fans. He wants teammates who are in the trenches. And the difference between a fan and a follower really is what's produced in their life. James says something like this in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. He says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but doesn't have any works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is it? How many of us are guilty of that? Someone says, man, I've got this issue in my life. And say, man, a brother or brother or sister, I'll pray for you. Man, I've got, I don't know how we're going to make ends meet. This is going on. Oh, man, we'll, we'll pray for you. 
while you're filling up your extra-large venti caramel macchiato at Starbucks that cost you an arm and a leg. We do this stuff all the time. He says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, but I'll show you my faith by my works. The woman who anointed Christ didn't do that because she just had faith. Her works were a result of the change in her life. What James is getting at is like there's a difference between saying you believe and actually living like you believe. Verse 19, he says, you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Think about it. How many people do you ask? Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. That doesn't make you a Christian. The demons believe in God, and they tremble, but they still live in opposition to Him. What good is saying, I believe, if your life doesn't reflect what you say you believe? It's dead. What he's saying in a nutshell is that it's not enough to say you believe. True believers repent of their sins. True believers worship in spirit and truth. True believers forgive those who have harmed them. True believers stand in the gap for the less fortunate, the fatherless, and the widow. True believers leverage their wealth for the kingdom to grow and expand. True believers don't just complain about their government. They get involved with their government. They don't just complain about their world. They get involved in their world to be salt and light in their community. Fans in the stands may be wearing the colors, but they don't get dirty. And and again, this is not what God is calling us to. He's calling us to be teammates on the field, not fans in the stands. And the invitation to these people is to actually become what they say they are, become alive, Grow in Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn to Christ and buy from me what can transform your life. And that's a relationship with God by placing your faith and trust in Jesus. He rebukes them because they were lukewarm. They were stagnant. They weren't hot. And they weren't cold. The cold, when we're exhausted, it's refreshing. The warm, when we're cold and we can't feel like we can move on, it's activating. But Jesus says to the lukewarm, it's nasty. I'm going to vomit you out. I'm going to spit you out because you're not good for anything to the kingdom of God. And it feels like a harsh word. But he doesn't tell him, I'm going to spew you out because he hates him. Chapter 3, verse 19. Hear this. He says, those whom I, what? Love. Those whom I love. Those whom I love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He's not saying, I can't stand them. That's why I'm spitting them out. He's like, I love them so much, but what they're doing is disgusting. Turn. Change. Separate yourself from the world. Quit going that direction. Quit doing that thing. Quit involving yourself in that relationship. Make a change. 
Become hot or cold. Refresh, comfort, or activate. Because there's a day coming where you're going to get spewed out of my mouth. But that's not what I want for you. I want good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I want to set your feet on a solid foundation. I want peace to fill your life. Today, if you find yourself indifferent or your heart has grown cold to the things of God, I want you to hear this. He loves you. He deeply, deeply, deeply loves you, and he wants good for you. You might be here, and you might feel spiritually numb. You might classify yourself as a Christian, but truth be told, you really just don't care that much about the things of God. You've been phoning it in, going through the motions. You see, from God's word, a genuine believer is going to be hot or cold. They're not going to be lukewarm. They're not going to be indifferent. They're going to have evidence in their life that they're connected to Christ. And because he loves you, he's calling you out. He's calling you out. He's calling you to see yourself the way you actually are. You're in desperate need of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. He's in pursuit of your heart, and he wants to refresh you with living water. And he wants to activate you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with me. I'm standing at the door and knocking. Where's the door? It's in your heart. This goes back to a parable he told about a master standing at the door knocking for his servants. And Luke, we're not going to look at it. We're going to close here. But he wants the servants to open the door. Why? Not so that he can come in and be served, but so that he can dress himself for service and bless his servants for being faithful. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. And he's asking you, will you open the door? Will you let me in? Will you shed the religion? And let's begin a relationship. And in that moment, you know what you're going to discover? The same thing the woman with the ointment discovered. A love that never fails. An acceptance that covers all of your guilt and shame and every mistake you've ever made. A purpose you never knew you had. Joy, even in the midst of difficult times and struggles. And you have a promise that one day, when you see Jesus face to face, all this junk is going to pass away. You're going to get a new body, free from sin and struggle, free from the curse of aging, free from all the stuff we wrestle with every day. And you're going to be given eternal life. You know how long eternal life is? It's eternal. doesn't stop. Like, we don't have to keep wearing the creams and the lotions. We don't have to worry about exercise plans and fads. We don't have to worry about getting the new gazelle model and putting it in our basement and never using it. You know, there's things that we try to do. We don't have to worry about going to work nine to five every day, grinding just to make a living. Everything will be as it was meant to be when God created the world forever. The question is, 
do you want to be a part of that world? If you want to be a part of that world, Jesus said it's very easy. It's a simple decision, but it's a lifetime commitment. And that decision is saying, I'm going to die to myself. I'm going to die to this world. I'm going to die to sin. And I'm going to rise through faith in Jesus Christ to serve him all my days. That means serving him in your home. That means serving him in your school. That means serving him in your workplace. That means serving him in your community. That means living for a greater story, a bigger picture, and a divine purpose. And along the way, you know what he promised? I'll be with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. I know one of the biggest hurdles we have in, in a moment of decision is that feeling of doubt. Like, if I, if I really give him my heart this time, if I don't hold back, and if I submit to him, is he going to really accept me? Or, or is he really going to work out this stuff in my life that I've been really afraid to address? Yeah, he is. And you know what you'll discover when you lay down what you've been holding on to? You're going to discover something better. I just sent this verse to someone this morning. It just felt like the Lord had laid it on my heart. Maybe it wasn't for him. Maybe it was for now. But the Bible says if you delight yourself in God, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Our problem is, is that we're holding on to all these desires, and we don't recognize that our true desires are over here. But until we let this go, we can't receive this. And Jesus is saying, there's a door right here, and I'm knocking on it. All you got to do let this go and open up, and I'm going to lead you to discover what's really in your heart. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment. We're going to call our prayer team forward. Enter a time of response. We're just where you are. Be honest with yourself. Be true in your heart. Are you hot? Are you cold? Or are you lukewarm? Are you refreshing? Are you activating? Or are you just a drain? Are you stagnant? Are you stale? Are you indifferent? Do you have a genuine relationship with Christ? Are you in love with Jesus? Love is a choice. It's a choice you make every day. Not my will, but yours be done. You won't always feel it, but you can always choose it. Does Jesus really have your heart? And if you're here today and you'd say, Pastor Joey, I've been indifferent. I've been lukewarm. And to be honest, no, he really doesn't have my heart. I've done a lot of religious things, but I'm just not really into it. But something, something's going on today. There's something in my heart. I, I can't define it. I can't describe it. But there's something going on. 
And I feel like I need to make a decision for Christ. I feel like he's knocking on my heart. If that's you here today, I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm going to invite you to open the door. Right where you are. No more playing. No more holding back. Today, you can really give him your heart. And it might begin with praying a prayer, but then lead into making some decisions to reorient your life so that you can honor him with it. For some of you, that might mean getting more involved in your local church, getting involved here. For some of you, that might mean leaving a relationship that's toxic, whether it be friends or a romantic relationship. Some of you might need to cancel some subscriptions. You might need to start listening to different music or watching different stuff. Whatever, whatever the Spirit is speaking to your heart, and I know He is. He, he brings it to your mind. He's speaking. Whatever that is, don't just pray a prayer and go through the motions and leave the same. Give Him your heart. Make the choice to open the door, and you will leave here a different person. And he'll be with you as you follow him. Wearing the jersey, loud and proud, kingdom of God, baby. For all eternity, he'll be with you through the hard things. He'll be with you through the easy things. He'll be with you. Your church family will be with you to walk through it with you. But right here where you are, if you need to open the door to Jesus... I just want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture in your mind that you're standing before the throne of God. And on the throne is our Lord and Savior. I want you to picture his eyes, picture the scars in his hands. I want you to focus on him. And with that in your mind, I want you to pray this to him from your heart. See, Jesus... I'm tired of being indifferent. I want to heat up. I want to be a refresher. Today, I give you my life and my whole heart. Today, you're my Lord and Savior. Thank you for dying for me and forgiving me. I ask you to come into my heart and let's party. Let's begin a relationship today. No more hiding. No more pretending. It's real this time. Now and forever. It's you and me. In Jesus' name. This morning, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this morning, I just knew in my heart this message was for somebody, that they were going to make a decision today. And the Bible says that when one person opens that door to Christ, when you begin a relationship with God, God himself is throwing a party in heaven. And if that's you, if you made that decision, would you just slip your hand up? I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to bless you in this moment. Would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, I prayed today? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. 
Well, Lord, I just thank you for the hands that were raised. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. I thank you, Lord, for those of us that, that we know we have a relationship and maybe we just haven't been pursuing you like we should. I thank you, God, that you're now activating that heart of passion and that heart of pursuit, that you're refreshing us from the weariness of life and you're activating us back into a passionate pursuit. God, fill us with the Spirit. God, overwhelm us in your presence. God, let your love overflow in our lives. And I pray for the ones who raised their hand and the one specifically that I saw, God, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus, you would so flood them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. God, that the, the guilt and shame and all the heaviness they've been dealing with their, their whole life up to this point, God, that break away. And you could, they could hear even in their spirit your heart's cry as the prodigals come home and say, my son who is dead is now alive forevermore. Let's throw him a party. My daughter who is dead is now alive again. Let's throw her a party. And I can just hear, God, the angels of heaven singing and proclaiming and celebrating. So church, join with the angels now. Let's give God praise. God, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for the life change. We celebrate with you. We praise you, God. Thank you for letting us have a seat at the table of Jesus Christ today. Father, I just continue to pray, Lord, whatever you're speaking to hearts, I pray, God, that we wouldn't stay the same. We believe that if we come the same, we'll leave change when you show up. So, Lord, now's the time. I pray as we go into a time of prayer and response as Tony leads us, that, God, we, the lukewarm wouldn't stay lukewarm, that we come and lay ourselves down, whatever burdens are on our heart, we leave them at your feet, and we'd rise all together new. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together as Tony leads us. If God's speaking to your heart and there are things in your life that you want to come pray for, maybe it's just to rededicate your life. Maybe it's just to be renewed, refocused, whatever is going on. You, come on. we got a team down here. We'd love to pray with you and join you as you do business with the Lord. Church. We want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you.